Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Happy Thursday. It's November 1st. Welcome to a new month. The music in the background is from our friend Creekmore. The song is called Precipice. And if you've listened in the last month or so, you've heard it. But it is a song that he wrote to go along with my new book, Remember God. And so um, you need to definitely check out the lyrics and listen to it. Um, sometime when you can get quiet and listen the whole way through. It's really beautiful and connects so beautifully with that book. Speaking of books, today on the show is one of my buddies, Grant Skeldon. He is an innovator, a minister, a pastor, a millennial, um, all around great dude, just a great dude. I'm such a fan. We met a couple of years ago on a trip in Israel and have just stayed friends for a really long time. And I just think the absolute world of him, he's just one of the best. He's one of the best. And his new book, The Passion Generation, releases this week. And it is so important for us as, um, as a church to talk about how we are serving and meeting millennials and how we are... Um, a part of their lives, but also for millennials to see how they are seen from the people in and outside of the church. It's a really important book. And and Grant does a beautiful job talking really vulnerably and honestly about some things he's been working through about how he's learning to find rest and the importance of it and, and actually goes really deep really quick. So prepare yourselves. This may be a note taker one for you, but um, we are going to go straight into it. So here is my friend Grant Skeldon. Where are you recording from? Are you in Dallas? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Dallas. This, I'm staying in Dallas a lot more these days. Less traveling, more, are more you? local stuff. Tell me about staying in Dallas more. I think it's, I saw your Instagram about it and the difference between your room before and after <laughs> your travel room versus your staying home room. What's it about? <laughs> I guess you can see my cat in my stay at home room. Yeah, for sure. That's what everyone kept commenting. They're like, where's the cat in the first picture with all the mess? And they're like, was he right. under it all? Um, I think I just didn't have a cat. <laughs> anyway, I um, have you ever read Emotionally Healthy Leader or heard of the book? Uh, I've read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And that one yeah, yeah. Same guy, same guy. I think I think the leader one is just a little bit more catered to those in leadership positions. Um, but yeah. that book, uh, I don't know. It was I traveled so much. Um, and it, it maybe compared to others, uh, there's others that speak often that I'm sure travel more. But I went from probably traveling about six times a year to I feel like it was around 30 to 40 times, yeah. uh, maybe 30. Yeah. Probably in the 30 side, uh, just in the first six months. And it was like back to back all every week, sometimes two to three times a week. Traveling and speaking at conferences. What were you doing? Yeah. Mostly speaking at conferences, uh, mostly speaking yeah. at conferences on how to reach millennials, um, how to engage them, how to mobilize them. Yeah. So with that, uh, I felt like, as you know, being on the road all the time, I think your health is easy to go. Um, I think uh, it's, you have to fight for your time with the Lord. Right. Um, because when it comes to health, um, I, I joke that there's there's no city that's known for its salads. Right. Um, they're all known for like hot dogs, pizza, yeah. deep dish pizza, uh, barbecue in Texas. And, and when you go as a guest to those those conferences, like they they want to take you out, they want to host you well, right. they want to pay for the whole meal. And uh, you, man, you got to be a disciplined person. This would be like, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to get a salad instead, or I'm going to get something healthier, um, even though you really want me to try like the Philly cheese, right, or right, pizza, pizza, <laughs> Chicago, or whatever. Like um, for me, I love those little nuts on the side in New York. Those things, oh, like, really no cheap, but I love those things. And so I think physical health, I think spiritual health, it's just, it's very easy. It's not right, but it's easy. Sometimes I feel like it was easy to justify, man, I got a six o'clock flight. I'm not going to wake up at that. I got to be there at least an hour early. And then that's 30 minutes to get to the airport. So am I going to wake up at three? So I get quiet time with the Lord. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I'll read on the plane. Uh, that didn't ever happen. Um, and so it's just, you, you start losing those, those disciplines when your rhythm is just really not. It's really not a rhythm or routine, or I'm sure you can get used to that routine, but I, I did not prepare, uh, I think, mentally, spiritually, physically for all that. Right. So I just, yeah, I wanted to, uh, after a breakup, after seeing my room look like... Like a breakup, a dating breakup is what you're saying. For dating, yeah, dating breakup, um, and just doing way too much for God without spending enough adequate time with God to do those things well. Uh I think, yeah, someone gave me that book. 
I joined a like a better accountability group. Yeah. And I think even maybe reprioritize at least for the next couple years uh, what what's healthy for me and what's right for me. Because the biggest thing is I said yes to every single speaking opportunity because I felt like, you know, I'm single. I feel like I'm supposed to, instead of being worried about getting married, um, I feel like I should be using these single years because it is a gift, yeah. as the Bible says. And I've always kind of had a theology of instead of wasting so much time trying to get married, just go after the mission of God. Yeah. Um, and I and I do believe that, but I don't think God's ever called us to go so hard after Him that it's like we're actually losing our relationship with Come Him. On. And so that's kind of what started to happen. And uh, luckily, uh, I, I had a wake up call, and I've had incredible mentors and friends kind of come behind me. And I would say, ironically, that earlier this year was maybe the one of the worst places I was spiritually. Ironically, in light of some of the most quote unquote ministry success I've ever seen. Right. Um, so it's crazy what God can do through you, even when you're not walking as closely with him on a daily basis. But I would say now I'm slowing down a lot more and Sabbathing a lot better. And I see him doing way more. And I feel like the most healthy place I've ever yeah. been, especially with him. Yeah, Man, Grant, this is such an interesting conversation for so many people. Cause you said sometimes you can, you can do a lot for God, but it can actually be like the least connected you feel to God. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it is crazy. Been in here, Grant. We haven't even, we haven't even told people why we're friends. We we're just going straight for it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but God did, I mean, God seemed to be using David and a lot of people in brokenness. I, yeah, it's crazy. I, I mean, writing the book and, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast where actually they interviewed David Platt and it was like, two weeks after like this big wake up call of like, something's got to change. Uh, and to me, David Platt, like Francis Chan, uh, I think guys like Bob Goff, those guys are guys that I'm like, I'm around them. And I just think, how are you guys like, like this all the time? Um, you guys just like seem to really walk with the Lord on the daily basis. I'm not saying that I don't try, but it's like, there's something different about the way those guys carry themselves. Yeah. But to see uh, David Platt kind of like confessed uh, that he said, right after uh, writing Radical, he was on tour, speaking all the time, doing all this. And he kind of said it was one of the worst spiritual seasons he's ever been yeah. in. And he kind of said he was, I think, at best, somewhat pursuing God and at worst, like no relationship almost at all. Yeah. And I was like, wow, for David Platt to say that. But it gave me a little bit of comfort of like, man, sometimes, yeah, you, God can be using you in so many ways. Because I'll be like, who knew? Like, who would have known? And even for myself, for the people closer to me, uh, kind of saw things, but yeah, eventually, like, honestly, if I'm being real honest, like I've, I've joined kind of even like a celebrate recovery deal. Cause I, I think, I think what can happen also is like, uh, it's called region at the, the place in the church that I'm at. Uh, but just a place where I can be around others that are openly broken. Uh, because when you're a leader, uh, especially you, and I think a young leader, cause you're striving to be maybe the, like the people you've seen that go, have gone before you. You, it's not necessarily the best environment or seemingly the best environment to be honest and broken and hurt. And the, I think the lie of the enemy is like, uh, whenever you go to church, uh, basically the longer you've been a leader, the less you are allowed to struggle yeah. uh, or have problems and stuff like yeah. that. And it can lead to a lot of, I think, loneliness. I think that's one of the biggest reasons they say leadership is lonely is because yeah. we don't maybe fight for very honest community. And so uh, I've really enjoyed being in this group as every Monday night and it's people struggling with all types of stuff. And, and it's funny cause I speak at this church sometimes, but <laughs> I'm on Monday night, I'm in a group with a whole bunch of people, but that posture, I feel like I have more of an experience with God on the Monday night. Cause everyone's openly, honestly broken. That's why they're there. Then on Sunday where sometimes I feel like we can kind of wear a mask when we go to church. Um, like the moment we walk into church, no matter how we feel, we try to act like we're doing better than we actually feel. And uh, so the environment on on Monday night has been a very, very healthy place for me because if that's how we feel on Sunday, even more so if you're the speaker or the, the preacher or the uh, leader that's there, you feel like you got to like meet expectations. Yeah. I know, I know that's not, I know we know in our heart of hearts that's not true. But it, it's definitely a temptation. Yeah, it feels true. I mean, feels true to me. Talk to me about it. I mean, you have way more experience than this. I, I've, I have found as I've talked to more leaders, um, everyone's kind of had these experiences with uh, maybe breakdowns, uh, burnouts, yeah. or just 
realizing I've got to, something's got to change. I got to slow down or I got to put a different type of rhythm or uh, regimen yeah. in my schedule. And you know, the scary part for you and you and I being single and only having one income in our household is you don't just get to stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Right. Yeah. Because it's your job. And so it's not the thing that, that can be the, something that's so um, tiring and so beautiful and so dangerous to your health long-term if you keep the path you're on also is what makes you able to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you found that to be scary? Do you wrestle that down? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, so I have a book coming out in t- less than two weeks called the passion generation. It's on millennials, uh, but it's actually by a millennial and it's actually ironically not for millennials. Right. But in the book, I tell a story about uh, how like, Basically, I, I talk about how we do need to be more honest in church. Like, ironically, the saying is "come as you are," but I feel like those that have been going the longest come as they aren't, and they feel like we're not allowed to really come as we are anymore. That's only for like the new Christians or the yeah, unbelievers. Yeah, say that. Um, and so, with that, uh, I I think even more so. Like I said, if you're the speaker, especially yeah, like us, we're getting paid, um, and sometimes for, I basically I had a stint like many of us do, where it's like conference to conference to conference and i think it was like the fourth day uh back to back and i was just kind of tired uh it tends to be like really early morning flights and then really late nights of them wanting to take you out afterwards and then you got to wake up really early for the next night and you can only do that so many days and it's hard because for each new city the people that might be day one of their conference but for us it's not day one it's like could be day four it could be day 10 of uh staying up late every night and then waking up early every morning um, and so it was kind of the end of a of a couple uh, events that I went to, but this was the biggest event of them all. Uh, and I was getting paid pretty significantly higher than the others as well. So I say that to say there's this pressure to deliver, um, and I want to I want to be faithful to. They trust me, and uh, they they are they are sacrificing for me to be here. However, I was exhausted by the time I went to this event, and luckily it was back in Dallas. Um, but I was so tired and this lady that was like crazy bubbly, uh, who was like one of the event coordinators came up to me and he's like, my kids are here. I ha- I wanted them to hear you. I heard your message, whatever. Um, and I really want them to hear you speak. And she's pumped about it. And she doesn't know I'm spiritually, physically just exhausted. exhausted. Like, yeah. and I, even I'm speaking in like an hour and I just got in and I'm wondering like, man, God, how am I going to give like what you I was so excited a couple weeks ago when uh, I knew I was going to do this, but now I'm so tired Um, and I don't have it. And one thing about how I think you speak very similar, you're a very personal communicator, uh, but I'm speak from the heart a lot. And so that's a great thing. It's very extemporaneous. I call it like Stephen the martyr, like preaching. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That morning thinking, yeah, I'm going to prepare my last words. Like he spoke from the heart and God like gave him the words. Uh, I tend to speak a lot like that, which is great. And it's very authentic and real. But if my heart isn't doing well, it's oh, it's like I, I'm terrified to do it um, because I'm like, I don't, my cup isn't full. I have nothing to give. It's empty. So I literally have nothing to give. And I don't want, you're going to be able to tell if I'm trying to fake it. And so she said, hey, how are you doing? Are you excited? And I just basically, I think I was so tired, honestly, that I didn't even know how to play the game or wasn't ready to play the game that I just said, honestly, I'm so tired. Like, I'm exhausted. Like, all I want to do right now is sleep. Um, and nothing in you wants to tell the person that like booked you, uh, and all this, the honest, <laughs> that you're tired. Yeah. Like actually, no, I'm not. I know you're excited, right. but I'm exhausted. Right. And I wish I, I wish I could sleep and like y'all could put me at a different time. But I was like, all I want to do is take a nap. Like is what I really thought. And she said, uh, well, she looked really concerned, which I, I get it, but she said, Hey, that totally makes sense. Like, um, I know you've been traveling a lot blah 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 and then she said there was like this room in the third story of this convention center if you want go get like a 10 minute 20 minute nap which is like my spiritual love language right (laughs) and so i was like you would be down to let me do that like i do not ask for much i can i can nap in the most obscure places i just need a quiet place to take a quick nap and so that was so helpful and i'm like i'm so glad i let her know uh because if i didn't i would have tried to like just muster the strength that I didn't honestly have to get through it. But the biggest thing was she said, but before you go, can, um, can I just pray for you real quick? I just want to 
ask for God to give you supernatural strength. And just to, yeah, to, I know you've been speaking a lot, but I just want to ask that he would give you special words for us. And she prayed over me. And it's crazy is like, I know we've all experienced this type of prayer where like you feel one way before the prayer and then you feel a whole different way after the prayer. But I, I felt ready to go after she prayed for me. Like I was like, man, now I feel great. Like I can just go right now. Now I still took a nap because I needed it and wanted it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was about to say that you can't, you know, you can't do thirteen events in a row where people pray for supernatural strength. Yeah, <laughs> like at some point your body has to stop. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it was like that night. I thought I was like, man, I wonder how I'm going to get through it. And then it ended up being like probably one of the best messages I've ever given. Where I feel like, you know, when you can feel, man, God, you showed up in me, through me. I was surprised by some of the things I said. It was totally you. Yeah. It was one of those kind of messages. So such a 180. And and that's when I really left that night thinking, man, I got to I gotta be more honest. Because uh, everything in me, even professionally, would have said, man, uh, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get the job done. Right. Like you, right. You're hired for this. And so, yeah, I, I do feel like uh, because it is a job in some senses to be on it can uh put uh, it's a it's a difficult line uh that we have to deal with what's the story of the the moment when you knew it was time to change you just said like there's a moment when you recognize that like i need help or i need to change my schedule or there like this isn't working anymore did you do you remember the minute when you thought this isn't working anymore there was a maybe two week window that led to this this thing in, in Dallas called Region, um, yeah. it's about a thousand plus people that go to it. But uh, I I was working out of this church um, that puts it on and they got a huge coffee shop there. And I just saw all these people showing up around 630. I was working past five and um, I was like, asked, I saw a friend that was going to it. Someone I kind of briefly knew only a little bit. And they said, yeah, it's for anyone like with hurts, habits or hangups. And I was like, you know, I'm not doing anything tonight. I think I'll check it out. Like, it's not like you have to sign up or anything. You can just go and check it out. Um, and so I went, I sat in the very back. And I will say the the season, though, that postured my heart to be like, hey, I think I do have some hurts, habits, and hangups is um, I'm like, one, I have a lot of close friends that I have lost in some sense um, through ministry, because of ministry, because yeah. like the prioritize of ministry um, I had a guy that has been a pastor of a many tr- a large church with many, many campuses, done a lot of great things. And um, someone had told me that he recently said, hey, I've done all these things. He's a lot older now, um, but I don't have one single lifelong friend to show for it. And it, it makes me think like, about how many people got hurt because of ministry. And I just don't think God wants ministry to be like that, um, but it is very easy, the bigger the platform. and the more difficult to schedule and I don't know the status and all that that comes with it, that it becomes a hindrance to sincere, deep relationships. And I was like, that's kind of happening to me. Um, I've had to work very hard to restore and ask for forgiveness for things that uh, ministry ironically has gotten in the way of. Yeah. And um, going into that, um, that event region, honestly, the band was not that good. And the whole thing was kind of strange. Like they, they like, Hey, um, my name is, let's say, Katie, and I'm recovering in Christ, um, and I struggle with X, Y, Z. And every time they say their name, they do that. It's very AA, like. Yeah. But I was like, this feels awesome. Like, I don't know the worship for me. I told, I wrote down in my journal, this feels like one of the first times is I've worshipped and I felt like it's just me and you, God. Oh wow. Because when I go to church a lot, um, I guess I probably read into it more than I I need to, but I just feel like. I've got to be something more uh, because everyone knows I do this or that. Um, and especially when I'm coming as the, as the church speaker or the conference speaker, they put you in the front row and then I feel like, dang, I got to like worship better than these people. Cause they're like, if he doesn't worship better than us, he's the one on stage. Like, I know, I know it's not true, mm-hmm. yeah. but um, there's not a, a lot of public eye. This was like very private back row. I've been a while since I've sat in the back row and just worship the Lord and no one right. knows who I am. Right. It's just me and him. I think that was a moment where I was like, I need a lot more of this, but I need a lot more of this posture that they have here, which is, hey, I am recovering in Christ still. Um, because for me, I'm 28 right now, and I I feel like I never really got to be a young adult. I just was thrust into leadership 
Yeah, that's right. You became the expert on um, millennials and then you were telling everybody before. <laughs> I mean, you're the guy people call about millennials. Yeah, yeah, which is a great thing. I mean, God God used me and cho- chose to use me at a very young age. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that I feel like I never, I just never got to do, I guess. And You're like um, a child star. It's so funny you say that because one of the guys that uh, I highly respect and that does similar stuff to me, just he's incredible. Um, the first time I met him, his name's uh, Jonathan Pluta. The first time I met him, he said, uh, Grant, I feel like uh, you just got to be careful. And this was five years ago. Um, he's like, you just got to be careful because like, yeah, you are doing some stuff that I just wasn't doing at your age. And most people do not do at your age and yeah. you're getting some big opportunities. But he's like, you got to look at, and he used Michael Jackson. He's like, just look at Michael Jackson. and like, be careful because this kid never got to be young, like yeah. immediately and always he's in the public eye. And, uh, and he was just gifted like no one else. However, there came a point where he just like crashed and burned. Um, and he didn't have many, many people that just loved him for him. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to what he said. Um, and yeah, I think that, uh, Maybe I, I don't want to say I crashed and burned, but I, I definitely have. You for sure uh, didn't crash and burn, but you have not crashed and burned. <laughs> but I definitely, yeah, God's given me some really, really good wake up calls. And I think it's timely because the book is only going to require more and more yeah. uh, intentionality for what I do and what I don't do. Yeah. So what would you say, like now that you're off the road more and you're in Dallas more, what do you feel? Because when you and I met, which we'll talk about that in a second, because that's a great story. When you and I met, one of the things you said to me is like, I'm called to Dallas. Like, I know that one of the purposes of my life is to see people in Dallas come to know Christ for who he really is. Right. Yeah. And do you still feel that now that you're off the road? I mean, you've only been, you've only pulled back in the last few weeks, right? Uh, Maybe like two months. Yeah. So how different does it feel to you? Yeah, I feel like I'm more involved in my home. I feel like I feel like God speaks to me more clearly. Uh, just so, yeah, to get, explain to the listeners, I I really used to, ironically, when I was maybe about eight years ago, uh, when I was first a newer Christian, I really wanted to go like start a church anywhere up north is what I would say. I just yeah. want to get out of the Bible Belt. Uh, just the culture of like, ironically, cultural Christianity, uh, where everyone in my city um, is maybe church, not necessarily a Christian, but they're very church society. Um, I just wanted to get out and start a church uh, to, with people that really needed to hear the gospel, and it wasn't a game for them. Right. Uh, however, God really shifted my heart to like love this city and to love where I am, and uh, to not try to start something new somewhere else, but to just be crazy faithful to where I am today. And slowly but surely, I have just like fallen in love with Dallas, Texas. Like yeah. I, I just dig it. I dig it a lot. As much as I travel and me and you get to go to like cool places um, internationally and nationally, but every time I land back in Dallas, I am excited to be back. Yeah. And and ironically, there's so many cities that I think are way cooler than Dallas. Like yeah. I, you're in Nashville. I think Nashville. I always tell people Nashville is my favorite city that I'm not called to. Yes, <laughs> like it's come number on. one. Number one is Dallas, but number one, if I like just out of the flesh, I guess yeah. I would choose. It just is fun. Like I love the culture. I love. You guys got some somewhat mountains. You got lakes. You got yeah. just really cool stuff going on there. And so, uh, yeah, I know when I come back to Dallas, the weather is indifferent, like and changes its mind every day. I know there's like nothing but restaurants and churches here. There's no mountains. There's no experiences. There's a lot of nothing but food and church. Yeah, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. And traffic and traffic, but I dig it. And so my point is, ironically, I think I was losing touch with what God was calling me to do is more in Dallas mm. because, uh, and just even, cause I haven't talked about this, where did all the pressure, uh, or where did the desire, I guess, come from to like go and travel all the time or say yes to everything. Yeah. And I would say it came from a pressure I was putting on myself, uh, that was probably bigger than the pressure or even the push I would say that God put on me is I see a huge problem with the church reaching young people right now, uh, millennials especially, but I think will only be bigger with the Z generation because if we think millennials are bad, how much harder will it be for the Z generation when the generation before them had like almost wholly left the church? Uh, there's like going to be very, very few role models for them. Uh, so I feel this pressure and I, even the kids that were student leaders, like just the strong Christians that were my age that poured into me when I was a new Christian at 16 years old, a lot of them are not even walking with God anymore. 
And so if that's what happened to the leaders that were my friends growing up in like youth, how much more for those that weren't the leaders um, that I've just, I've seen a lot, seen a generation by and large kind of walk away from the Lord um, and biblical community. And so I don't see many people speaking to the leaders in charge of the church on behalf of this generation. Um, I'm sure there are some more, but I, I don't see that many. And so I feel like, okay, God, you have given me this platform for this time, for this purpose, and I need to be so, so faithful to it. Um, right. And I think that's important to say because there are so many people who feel like there is a gap here and there is a call here and I've got to fill it even if it costs me personally massively or yeah. even if it costs me health wise and even if it caught like so the pushback would be that's what sacrificing for the gospel looks like grant is what if you push yourself so far that you're unhealthy well but isn't that taking up your cross now of course i don't agree with that i'm just saying to you yeah yeah the pushback would be how do you find the line between suffering for the gospel yeah and Yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I thought a lot about that. And I actually lean a lot more towards like an open hand. God, you can have my whole life. I don't have much to give. I have a I have an apartment and like a bed. And so it's very easy to <laughs> and take a cat. everything Grant, I have. have like, yeah, and I have a cat, which I, I mean, you, you, anyone could take. I, I like them. I don't love them. Um, I, so I, my point is like, it's a lot easier for me to live that way sacrificially. But I, yeah, I usually live like, God, what you want me to do, I will do. And so with that, that's good. But uh, so I've thought a lot about that. Of okay, but I thought I was being faithful. You always call uh, people to do hard things. Like I would always tell Christians, young Christians especially, like God's never entered into anyone's life in the Bible. I've never seen a story where He enters into His life, in or His or her life, and says, "Hey, you know what? Just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job." Like every time He enters someone's life, He disrupts it and makes it uncomfortable. Honestly, like everyone, even Job, who was doing a good job, He disrupts it and makes it a little uncomfortable. And so. Uh, it, it seemed like the nature of, oh, I am obedient because it's uncomfortable. And that this is what I say is the differentiation between the two is uh, when you're doing it the right way and the wrong way is I think you totally can be uncomfortable. But if you're not close to God anymore, even in the discomfort, then it's wrong. Um, I don't think he's ever called us to a point or circumstances where I don't feel close to you at all. And uh, I don't even sense you in this at all. And I feel I mean, there's those seasons of distance, like, I mean, a moment's of distance where I even think of Joseph. He was in a mostly uncomfortable situation for for years, but it said, and God was with them. Yeah, and God had yeah. favor on them. And so, like, I think the circumstances it can be whatever, but the intimacy with the Lord, that's, once you start losing that, I don't, I don't know why God would ever call us to uh, draw away from him. Uh, and that's, that's when I knew, okay, it's, it's too much, which will only cause more discomfort and more, I would say, uh, self-inflicted discomfort and unnecessary discomfort. I wrestle with that too of how do you know that line? And I think anybody, you don't have to be a public speaker. You can be a mom or a chef or a you know lawyer or a, a school teacher. There's where you go like, where's the line of where I have to stay healthy and I have to take care of my body, mind, and spirit, but I also there is a call to give more than we have. You know, I, I think this is kind of on point of what you're saying is just to point to the Bible and the story that really impacted me. You're such a good Christian. Point to the Bible. Go. <laughs> Gary Brandenburg, uh, who went with us to yeah. Israel, um, he showed me this uh, where he pointed out to me how that point where Jesus, like it's, it often says he woke up early and he went to go pray. But there's that one time where it says and the disciples couldn't find him. And so they finally found him. Um, and he was early in the morning, he was praying and the disciples go up to him and say, well, Hey, what are you doing? And they basically, they say the line, everybody is looking for you. And I, he really pointed out to me how, like, think about that. We all have lives. Um, but especially leaders, we have lives where like everyone we feel like needs us yeah. um, and they're looking for us. And without us, things are going to go under, um, which is kind of what you alluded to and talked about and it is, is real. And in some ways, there's people that they really want to be needed because I, I did wrestle with, God, am I doing all this and saying yes to all this because I feel like I need to do it or people will forget about me or it's my name that I want them to know. And I really wrestled that. I don't feel like that's the case. Like I don't. In fact, sometimes I wish I didn't have to have this life so that I can just be a little bit more normal of a life. Um, but I really want to be faithful what you call me to do. 
However, I think it was crazy is how God actually responds to that is even though he knows more than the disciples know, everyone needs me. I need to be with the father yes. first yeah. before I go and respond to all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that really pushed me to like, man, if Jesus needs that, like, I, I really, really, really Serious. need that. I know. I, I think a very popular quote Martin Luther said, we usually, we usually talk about, I've heard him said many times, but I've felt it like, this is why Martin Luther, who was used so much in creating change and reformation, which I think is what is needed to reach the next generation. It, when he said, I have so much to do today that I can't help but pray for at least three hours. Right. Um, Thinking of it that way with Jesus, I was like, that makes sense why you would say that. Like, the, not only so much to do, I would say that the depth of what I have to accomplish is impossible without, without God showing up, that I must spend time with him today in order to accomplish this. Because there's so many people who go, well, I can't stop and I can't walk away. It's going to disappoint people. It's going to whatever. And one of the, a pastor who kind of mentors me and speaks in my life named Phil, Phil texted me the other day and he was like, Annie, Jesus disappointed everybody except the father. Yeah. Like. He literally, he disappointed his own people. He disappointed the Pharisees. He disappointed his neighborhood. He disappointed his mom. Like he literally disappointed everyone at some point. And we have it recorded. So he probably did it way more <laughs> than we even have in the Bible. But the only, the only person or person put that in quotes that he would not disappoint, that he would do whatever it was to please was the father. Yeah, that's good. And, and that has been so good for me to go like, okay, I'm going to, disappoint people. That's just part of the deal. But am I doing whatever it takes to please God? Because that's that's the one that I can't like risk, you know? You know what's funny is uh whenever they finally find him, he's his his response is because they're like, hey, everyone's looking for you. And he says, let us go somewhere else. Uh, yeah. To the nearby village. <laughs> he's like, he doesn't care. He doesn't uh, care. Or at least, I mean, he just clearly disappointed those people. He's like, okay, now I don't know. Maybe I like to think God told him, hey, you know, you, there's there's something else that I got for you, but yeah. the the irony that they're they're saying everyone needs you and everyone is looking for you, and he's like, let's go somewhere else. Yeah, he's like, okay, but let's just go somewhere else. <laughs> that hey, sometimes people are going to have needs, and you you are not the you don't have to be the savior and solution, especially if the savior and solution didn't respond that way. Yeah, that's right. That's good, Grant. Hey friends, interrupting for just a second to say thanks to our friends and sponsors of this episode, Samaritan Ministries. At Samaritan Ministries, believers in Jesus are committed to sending financial gifts every month directly to an assigned member with a medical need. But there's more involved than money or mere physical healing when there's a need. And Samaritan members pray for each other and for every aspect of the need and encourage one another by sending notes and cards. Every month, more than 70,000 households give generously to other members with a qualified medical need through Samaritan Ministries, and it's one of the leading healthcare sharing ministries in America. And as a member, I can tell you that I am really enjoying it. It's members like me send checks and prayers and notes of encouragement directly to other members in need. Healthcare sharing is a unique opportunity for us to be hands and feet of Jesus to our neighbors and our friends. The Samaritan Ministries direct sharing model is a biblical approach to paying for health care based on Galatians 6.2. So currently, Samaritan members give a monthly share starting at about $100, depending on age and household size. And I love this, that no family is going to pay more than $495 a month, no matter what size your family is. Thousands of Christians are joining the movement that allows them to care for one another with their health care, sharing needs from broken bones to cancer, pregnancies, and organ transplants. Nearly a quarter of a million Christians have chosen a health care option that adheres to their biblical beliefs and brings together believers and community. So you can learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org. Make sure you check them out, SamaritanMinistries.org. Here's what people need to know is the first time we met, I was annoying to you. Yeah. Tell the truth. Tell me how. <laughs> Tell the truth. You were annoying. We I were really in liked the airport. you. Since day one. We were trying to go to Israel <laughs> in 2015 and I couldn't find the group because I was all by myself. Yeah. yeah and I was yeah. texting you and you didn't know who I was. Yes. Okay. Yes. I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. How did you get my number? <laughs> right. I knew it. I knew I annoyed you. <laughs> Remember, Tara Lee gave me your number. Okay, that was she gave me your number because she wasn't there yet, and I was already at the airport, and you guys were at the airport. 
and we were flying to Israel and <laughs> I was like trying to meet up because I was like a lonesome dove all by myself. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause yeah, you didn't know many of the, I, I didn't know I, anybody. Yeah, you didn't know anyone. That makes sense. Yeah. I remember that. But she also didn't do the best job of telling me who was coming. Cause even Drew, who we called cowboy, I'm like, right. what? This guy who's a cowboy is coming. Yeah. And then Annie, I just was like, I don't know if I could trust the people you're bringing. <laughs> uh, so this, this Annie girl keeps texting me. Yeah. I wish this Annie girl would settle down. <laughs> But to give some grace, I mean, we're in New York City, and so no one wants to be alone Thank you. There. I appreciate that. Grant, talk about why you love taking friends to Israel. Because you've done it a couple of times, right? You've With Israel Collective, you've taken crowds of friends to Israel. Yeah, I like unity. I really, really like it. I think I feel called to it. Um, I personally, a lot of times I get the platform of like the millennial guy or the guy who helps millennials or even funny to be called like a millennial guru, which I don't think is even that cool of a title because uh, no one usually thinks of millennials as a good thing. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say the real thing I care about way deeper than millennials is just unity in general in the church. Um, I think that if I was the enemy and I heard Jesus say that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, then I would be like, man, my gates, I'm the enemy, but my gates can't even defend myself from the unified church, the church, not a whole bunch of churches, not just uh, churches that think they're the church, but the church. Right. And so what I, I think uh, if I was the enemy and I was like, okay, if I cannot defeat the church, then let me try to divide the church. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if there's been a season in America in a while where we feel this divided. And I see r- racial division, denominational division. Uh, generational division, political division, uh, socioeconomic division, and so there's so much division. I think that's where the enemy thrives. Is we're not we're not the unified, powerful church that God has made a promise to. As long as we stay divided uh, and think that our way is better, um, and we compete and compare instead of instead of complement. Now, how churches tend to respond to racial division specifically, I found is um, they'll do panels and they'll do conferences. Um, but especially panels. I'm I'm half Mexican, so usually it's like a, a I get on these panels all the time. Black guy. I was about to say you're such a home run because you're like a millennial and you're half Mexican. Yeah, I really am. I was like, we got a younger voice, we got a Mexican here, and you're single. <laughs> I'm, you're I'm like single, totally yeah. the trifecta. <laughs> and then they'll get some like Asian person, uh-huh. and we a lot of times we don't know each other. Right. Um, we've never met before, and I'm supposed to solve racism with these strangers <laughs> right. without talking too difficult like i don't want to talk about too uh sensitive of a topic because i don't know them well enough uh-huh. but what i found by going to israel is we were all strangers and we the conversations we had we could get into some difficult ones or unique ones but because we had the foundation of friendship it, it was a different type of dialogue i in fact i had a panel i was on a panel with um some leaders right after getting back from israel and it was four people that had gone to israel gary one being one of them and um, that conversation was the best conversation. So many people said this was one of the best conversations I've ever seen on racial reconciliation. And to me, I was like, it's because we're legitimately friends. Right. We literally just got back from 10 days together in Israel. And if there's one place that should bring us together, despite our race and our denomination and our background, is that Jesus Christ in this location absolutely changed our lives. And so uh, it, it's such a unifying place. But Honestly, I just I found that um, mission trips, retreats, and even trips to Israel or I guess vacations, if you will, uh, there's something about them that like bring people together. It lowers their guard. I like to get some of the most dynamic, diverse people together and get them out of their element to just have fun together. And I just pray, God, the Spirit is in them. The Spirit is in me. The Spirit is in all the people that I've invited. You, your Spirit connects to. Like, would you just connect your Spirit? to itself and to others. Uh, and I've just found uh, incredible, uh, I call it like cross, just they, they cross pollinate so much yeah. after they have those foundational friendships. I will say in a deeper, more um, somewhat doom and gloom way, but I, I'm very hopeful. I think for our generation leading the church in the next 10 to 20 years is going to be so much more difficult really? than the generations before in the sense that the culture is becoming so much more anti-God, anti-biblical values, anti-things that we have always historically stood for. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even trying to get like, I'm not saying politically, just there's certain things that 50 years ago is like, no, duh, I believe this. Right, um, right, right. Because this is what the Bible 
why now it's like, whoa, you like hate this group of people. You dislike me or you're judging or you're this and that. Um, and that's totally, I don't think the heart of this generation, especially um, there, we're, I'm seeing a lot trying to redeem that. Yeah. I just think that I think it's going to be a lot harder. The culture seemingly is getting darker and more distant from the Lord and divided, especially right now. And so I think it's going to be crucial that our generation isn't just going to respond to crisis and say, oh, we got to come together and pray, or we got to come together and talk about this, which I want us to do those things. I just want us to do it and say, we already know each other and have such friendship yeah. and foundation. And we've done so much together. So it's so much. What I've been saying is I'm trying to help this generation um, instead of responding to crisis in our 40s or 50s. I want to respond to Christ in our 20s so that when there is a crisis in our 40s and 50s, we respond with strength and unity and we're uniquely set apart in how we respond because they'll be like, man, there's so much racial tension, but how is the church so united around that? Like, yeah. man, there's so much, but how can Christians in different parties, how are they able to have like way healthier dialogue and discourse? Like, I think we should be on the front lines of unity conversations where the world has to ask us for advice because it shouldn't make sense why we can get together because we are so diverse racially and socioeconomically that's my hope i feel like god uses crisis to unite people whether it's a hurricane or a shooting or all that i don't think he causes those things i'm not saying that i just think he will he will redeem them in certain areas where he brings us together i would love for those not to be the only way and only reason that gets us to slow down to come together i want to i want us to come together just because it's better like when we're together yeah because of friendship yeah 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 that's what i mean when we were on that trip in i guess what was it 2015 maybe yeah 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 when we were on that trip in 2015 i just thought man grant has brought together like mentors and men and women from all over his life that are everyone was so different yeah and i i was super super impressed by that and it, it i think it's also one of the reasons you're that the passion generation book matters and your voice really matters is because you, you aren't just speaking from your own experience. You have worked really hard to have mentors in your life who have helped shape you into the wise spot you're in. That's a huge part. Half of the book is actually how to, how to engage practical discipleship with the next generation. Right. Um, I was very fortunate to, I got saved, uh, gave my life to Christ the first time I went to this new church and, uh, and when I was 16, after a huge breakup, and I got kicked off the basketball team. At the 16, I was like, my world's over. Yeah, for um, sure. But I went to this church and gave my life to Christ the very first time. Um, never been there before. Uh, and that was the biggest day of my life. It was March 8, 2006, to surrender my life to the Lord. But I, I often say also that the second biggest day of my life was two weeks later when a guy named Kevin Batista asked if he could mentor and disciple me because he knew that. Um, I was a new Christian, and he also knew the school I went to was pretty rough, yeah. and uh, not that many believers there. Um, he had found out that my my father's not a believer, and he's not a Christian. And so this guy took me under his wing, and he let me join his life. He didn't just meet with me once a week or once a month over coffee. Uh, he he let me come into his world, like his work life, um, his family life, uh, his personal life, and and that was maybe one of the most uh, formidable things in my in my spiritual walk because I I've found that a lot of young people uh, they get saved at a young age uh, but they don't get discipled at a young age yes and so um, it's a big part of what my message is basically I believe that we we don't have a millennial problem um, I think we have a discipleship problem that has played itself out into a millennial problem and it'll play itself out into a Z generation problem and so um, I think the core issue is how do we fix are somewhat of a neglect of discipleship so that we can not just reach millennials, but we can reach every generation where, because again, we'll be, while everyone's really disrupted and uh, confused by the next generation in the world, uh, I want them to look to the church and say, but man, they are good at uh, having uh, strong relationships and investment in the next generation yeah. and unity there. So for your book, The Passion Generation, it like you said earlier, it really isn't for millennials. It's for the rest of us, though. I am still at the very top of the millennials, but it's for people who are trying to understand them and understand the next generation and come alongside them, right? Yeah. In, in a way, the way it could be helpful for millennials, because ironically, most of my camp right now that's reading it is millennials. Yeah. Um, and they like it. I, it's really cool to see. I mean, this is my first book, so I it's a crazy 
position when it's like right before it comes out so your launch team gets to read right. it but no one's really read it right. other than the people that you asked to endorse it which i'm like of course you guys said good things i asked you to well, and that is not true i wouldn't have said anything nice if i didn't love it grant you know that <laughs> i told you a long time ago if i didn't love that book okay okay i just <laughs> it's just i want i don't want to say real people but i want i want people that are not leaders that are just yeah. like in the grind and struggle of it to read it and get their feedback. And it's been awesome to hear millennials. I now want to see the moms and the dads. Like I had someone text me last night saying, Hey, I've been reading out loud with my mom here. And she's just getting so much uh, direction that she didn't think about. Yeah. And from the book. And so I, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. I would say I wrote the book for parents that are trying to raise millennials, pastors that are trying to reach millennials and uh, employers that are just trying to retain millennials. Yeah. However, I have found that, um, Millennials can read it and it is helpful for them to read it just to see how to better communicate and understand what the struggle and the tension is. Right. Um, it's, it's really helpful to both ends. Uh, but I have found a lot of millennials read it and be helped by it, but then want to definitely say, I totally want to give this to my pastor. Yep. Or I totally want to give this to uh, my parent or I want to give this to my boss. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I liked about it too, Grant, is I was like, man, I, I have some new understanding and appreciation around what the next generation is feeling because I, those are my employees a lot of times, right? Those yeah, are the people that yeah. are, and it, at my church that so many of the people in, that are employed at my church that are on staff there are in that generation. But also I thought, man, I can totally see how millennials reading this. It's almost like when um, wild at heart came out, Yes. even though it was for dudes, I read it because I wanted to understand, you know, that's actually so <laughs> like, on point. Yeah. Cause I read captivating. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was so helpful. <laughs> Like I was like, yo, if all the girls I read after reading Captivating, I'm like, I'm reading that Francine Rivers book too, uh, that girls love. Yeah, uh, Redeeming Love. Yeah. Redeeming Love. <laughs> Which I was like, man, I'm such a like chick flick or like hopeless romantic. Cause I was like, this book's great. I feel like they should take this cover off because it looks so girly yeah. and put like a dark cover and say like Redeeming Love and make it manly, but the same exact words and story. Yep. Because I, I thought that was an incredible book. Um, I actually think there might be a masculine cover, Grant. I'm not sure. I mean, I know there's that feminine cover, but I feel like in my heart there might be a masculine one too, but I don't know. I hope your heart is correct. But they should. You're right. It's the same thing. They're, they should. They should switch it up so that dudes will read it more um, without having to walk around with that cover. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it is It is like that where you, you want to read it to, to learn a little bit more. So tell me what you how you feel about being an author now that your book is like coming out in just a few days from when this podcast comes out and you've got your first book under your belt. Like, do you, do you have more books you want to write? Like, what are you feeling at this point? I think I could see myself write a book that is to millennials. Um, everything that I wrote in the book that was kind of similar to saying, Hey, now if you're a millennial and you're reading this, uh, yada, yada, or it, I, entire chapters where it was kind of, this is more to you as a millennial. Yeah. They cut from the book. Oh, wow. um, so they took all of that. And they, they put it all into one document. It was like uh, about 30 pages and just said, hey, this is great stuff. But we really think you should just keep the book to not millennial. Yeah. And maybe this is another book in the future. And this could be the foundation for that. Yeah. And so it's got me thinking, uh, depending on how this goes, uh, yeah, maybe I would write a book directly to millennials. I've also thought, I, I think there's going to be so much questions more that this creates yeah. for uh, pastors, parents, and business leaders. that. There's potential to write smaller book, uh -huh. but uh, more uniquely crafted for pastors, for parents, for business leaders. But it's hard too because I'm like, man, I do not want to do this for like the next five to ten years. And I think in five years, I don't know if you about you, but sometimes I see like books on Generation X, uh -huh. and it's like how to reach them and this and that. I'm like, yo, this is so funny now right. reading this. One of them I saw by Barna, and it was I was around older people. They said, hey, this was a helpful book for us uh -huh. in like 10, 15 years ago. Right. Uh, but it's about like the impact of MTV and I'm like MTV generation. I don't know if Z generation would even barely know about MTV. Right. Um, and so I just think it, it's a very time sensitive, you're kind of labeled uh, if you choose that. And so I'm, I'm trying to fill that out because like I said, I care a lot more about unity than I care just about millennials. I just do see that division hurting the church a lot. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I want to, if God's putting me in a position at this age to respond to it, I want to. But I've, I've grown a heart a lot for, I would say, this topic of slowing down and being healthy, especially for young people. Yeah. Because um, 
I think comparison is so unlimited for our generation that it, in a way, comparison and a false idea of what is possible uh, through social media and seeing people show their best and then hide the rest um, on social media. I think that it actually is what guided me to think, you know, everyone else I know that speaks travels every single day and they seem they seem happy and healthy made me think. So you just become happy and healthy eventually somewhere along the way. It just gets better. So I, my point is, I think that social media kind of creates, there's already a desire in our generation to do something bigger than themselves, to go and make a difference. And I see, I'm sure you get this a lot where it's people that just want to be at the position you are, but they want to be there like now, right away. Um, and they risk everything to get there, even their health. And so I just think our generation has a propensity to sacrifice healthy, godly habits and things and seasons in order to do what they think will give the meaning or impact or even just for godly reasons, but maybe it's not the right time. So, but then you also look at like your boy, what's the guy's name? Cole and his wife, Savannah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they're millennial generation who, who have a gazillion followers and have this super public life. Yeah. And so many people in that age bracket probably look, I mean, I could list, they're the first ones that come to my mind. Cause I know you know them, but yeah. you know, I could list 30 people from Instagram or Vine or Twitter or Facebook that you go like, well, not Facebook, but the others where you kind of go like, man, the whole next generation is looking at them and going, okay, that's what it looks like to be successful is to have a million followers on Instagram and to marry somebody that you meet on Instagram and write a book about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which I like them. I'm not dogging them at all. Don't hear. I hope I get them on the show. I think they're really cool. No, I'm not hearing that. And I think I'm shocked by how mature, and just down to earth, Cole and Savannah are. Um, Agreed. But you are you are right that uh, I didn't know who they were when I first met them. Um, uh-huh. But there is, I have found, man, there's such a desire from Z generation, especially to to meet them. And I mean, just not really what you're saying, but yeah, Instagram people or Insta famous people have, in a way, even replaced some celebrities in the Z generation. Like I've been surprised when speaking to youth groups how much like. I've heard them talk about, hey, did you see Cole and Savannah's video, this and that? It's almost like how our generation would be like, did you watch This Is Us, this is us last night? Right, like, right. Like, dang, they are, they are like, YouTube is a channel for y'all. Yes, and they are yes. they are big personalities on the, the channels. Um, right. It, yeah, it's a unique life. And that is, that, is, that is what a lot of, I think, Z generation especially wants to do. And I don't know if there's ever been a generation that seemingly, like, it's not true, but seemingly you can, like, make a video and become famous. Um, Literally, yeah, right. so many people that have done that. And so it makes all of them think they can do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a really interesting, I think one of the challenges for the church and for humans, for all of us that, like, are just trying to not even stay relevant, but stay connected to other humans is, like, I can't learn all the things that are happening on the internet. I can't start a new app every day and start using that as my communication tool, but learning what does it look like to like sit down at a table with the people in my neighborhood or the people that I'm friends with and their kids and listen to them has got to be part of the way to do that. I mean, it's the unity thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear your perspective. If there's one person I know that I feel like sometimes I'll see some, some celebrity in some field, and then they'll have like a Christian verse on their bio on Instagram or something. And like, or someone says, Hey, did you know they're a Christian? So I check them out. And like nine times out of 10, they know you somehow. Cause they're, yeah. they're like the one friend that they're following. It's like Drake. Uh, it's like Drake, Justin Bieber, and they're following Annie down. And so you, you, know, you know, I'm dead serious though. Kind of like they, they tend to know you. you just, yeah. I don't know you. I've know you well enough to know a lot of times you are mentoring or pouring into or just sincere uh, friends that don't want anything from these kind of people that have platforms in music and yeah. acting and yeah. uh, the news, all types of things. I'd love to hear, which you probably have seen a common theme of these are the people that have a lot of popularity. And even I, as I get just a little bit, uh, am wondering, man, this I used to think would be cooler. Uh, I literally saw yesterday Lecrae say on his post, he said something like, I'm telling you guys, Fame doesn't bring anything really as great as you think it will. Yeah. Um, friends are the things that you really want to like fight for, something like that. Right. And uh, anyway, I'd love to hear your perspective as you get to be around people that are even far bigger than popular in the Christian world. No, you're right. I mean, I think what I'm seeing in a bunch of my friends' lives is when the world thinks you have everything, you don't. 
none of us, no matter what you have, how much you have or how little you have, none of us are ever satisfied. We're just not satisfied. Yeah. And so you think when you get the next thing, you're going to be satisfied. And then you get the next thing and you're not satisfied. Yeah. Now you may be satisfied for a minute or for a week or for a couple of years, but eventually you're not, you're just not. That's the theme I see is that once you realize, oh, I'm not going to be satisfied. What does it look like to live a really abundant, healthy life and always be wanting? Like, how do you, how do you learn to want well versus trying to murder your want? You know, I like that. Want well. well. Yeah. I think that's the trick. I think that's, I mean, I think that's what celebrities are saying. I think that's what I'm saying. I think that's what you're saying. I think that's what all of us that are normal are saying, whether we have a zillion dollars or five dollars okay, I'm shocked that I got the thing I wanted and I'm still not satisfied. I better figure out what actually satisfies. And the end of that is always, A, we aren't going to be ever satisfied in this life because we were made to want what we can't get here, you know? But also Jesus is the closest thing. I mean, Jesus is what's going to satisfy your soul. And so that, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the theme I see poking out around in my friends' stories and in their lives. So are you rolling with Lecrae yet? Are y'all bros? No, I don't talk to him. I have a rule uh, that has worked well for me. Maybe I need to change it. I, I was around him a lot this weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw y'all were speaking at the same event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was like everyone was there. Just uh, so many people that I grew up learning from, listening to, reading. Um, my rule right now is don't talk to someone unless someone introduces you. Uh-huh. Um, or you have a sincere, legitimate, unique question that like isn't anything around like, hey, I love you. you so you're talking about in a green room. You're not talking about like in an airport or a grocery store. Yeah, for sure in a green room. Uh, because I have talked to people that have highly impacted my life. And it always tends to go awkward because I'm nervous and they may help or not help with that nervousness. Um, but it's just, it's just like, it's not necessary. Um, it's always gone awkward. So I was like, okay, I'm never going to do this again because now I feel weird and I only feel like I made you feel weird and not safe in the green room. And oh, so right. this was a couple of years ago. I decided you know, I'm just not going to talk unless I get introduced. And yeah. so that's Tim Keller is a guy that I've done so much around. Like I've been around him a lot, but I, for two or three years, never talked to him. I was around him like quite a bit. And by the time I finally did talk to him, it's because someone did only introduce me. They said, we want to put you and him on stage for 20 minutes and we just want you to interview him. And I think they thought I knew him well, but I was like, yeah, I totally can do that. But I was like, I'm so much rather meet him that way where it's like, hey, this is why we're together. This is why we need to talk. Then me, I think to myself, what if I would have tried to talk to him a hundred times before and then he's like, oh, great. I'm with the guy that's kind of always awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you did so good, though. It did go well. Yeah, God God shows up way more when it's on his timeline. Yeah. Something I'm really interested to see, Grant, is um, you're, what I've known since we became friends is that you always exceed wisdom and expectation for your age. Thank you. You're, you're wiser than you should be. And, and I think you learning about this resting stuff and I think that's really going to pan out great for the rest of us. I'm like, teach me, Grant, teach me your ways, (laughs) teach me how to do this. Um, But you're already doing it with the passion generation, with the book that is going to matter to so many parents who are trying to understand and pastors who are trying to understand and millennials who want to know how they're perceived. Yeah. So I think you're killing it, dude. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and just want to tell everyone here that you are the person God used the most to really finally push me to write a book because I remember being on the bus in Israel and you said at the time you said it, I don't know if you remember you saying this, but I always tell people like, they always ask about the process. How long does it take to write a book? This yeah. and, that. and I said, well, it took years, of course, of even gaining the insight, but then it took a couple years for me because I got approached two to three years before writing the book about writing a book, but I said no. And I'm so glad I did. And that God gave me the wisdom to say that uh, because what I would have said three years ago is so different than what I would now say yeah. today, which I have tested and shared a lot more of what I say today. While back then it was it was a lot different yeah. um, and untested. And yeah, just so glad. But with that, um, you kind of said, Grant, okay, everything you've been saying or many of the things you've been saying, I haven't heard people say about young people in the next generation. Yeah. And it seems like you have a unique message that I don't, I can't think of many books that say what you're saying. And you said, if you don't write it, I'm going to write it. And you're just going to have to blame yourself for that. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) 
I was like, you don't even write and think like you're not even. It would be random for you to write this. Right, like, it's not even the last cooking book because you won't write this cooking book. But I was like, I knew you weren't actually gonna write it. You don't but, know. <laughs> but I was like, I need that. I respond well to like strong, like throwing down the gauntlet, and so I needed that kind of push. And I, I think like within two weeks of getting back from Israel. I sought out an agent because I already knew, I already knew an agent. Yeah. I just, I don't know why I just, and I, I really think God just slowed me down on that. But yeah, when you did that, it kind of triggered it and everything fell into place. Like uh, the fact that I'm writing for Zondervan in my first book, I'm so grateful. Like, and even compared to everyone else that's got, got the book deal with, with them, uh, I feel like I'm on the lower side of the totem pole when it comes to influence and platform and experience, just especially because of my age. But I even, even when I had, um, my interview with Sandy, who you know as well, yeah. uh, who became my editor, the day of the interview, just to see if she was interested in the book, she had been sent a proposal. The day of, she said, Grant, you know, when I first got this book, I wasn't sure, um, kind of young and this topic, uh, I'm not sure. But she said, you know what changed it is I, I started reading the, the chapter and just yesterday, uh, my son, who's a little over 30, uh, who's lived in New York for about 10 years, moved back home and asked if he could live with me. And I'm just oh, thinking, wow. what the heck am I going to do with now my millennial son who's single who's going to live with me? And I thought about your book. Oh, my god! And I was just thinking, God, you so showed up. Like, you made this a real issue for my editor that acquired the book. And there's just been so many stories where I'm like, man, I'm so outside of my, my weight class. But uh, he... He makes it very clear he's in the process. That's great. And and we, I mean, we'll put a link to get to the book in the show notes so that people can grab it because everybody knows a millennial and and there just aren't a lot of books out there about this. That's why I was going to steal it from you and write it. The last question we always ask that I want to ask you because I'm so interested is because the show's called That Sounds Fun. What sounds fun to you, Grant? What do you do for fun? <laughs> Dang. Do I'm, you ever I'm, have fun? That is one of my questions about you. Do I have fun? I'm learning how to have fun, honestly. I know. I need you to really work on it, bud. No, I have been doing a lot more hobbies. I, I started getting asked that in that season of being going one thing to the next. And people were asking, like, what do you do for fun? And I, I was like, it's probably a problem that I'm having to think hard about this. Question. Right. What I do for fun these days, uh, I go on, wow, I was going to say I go on walks, which I do, but I don't want to start there. That's fine. But I do like to walk, and I like uh, volleyball, I realized. Really? Uh, I like to play volleyball. I like everything and anything pertaining to Marvel, um, like the comic books. Oh, um, yes. I, Dude, I'm just getting into them. I totally love it. Really? Yes. Like I, Wolverine and Spider-Man are my two favorite, but I legit like have bought comic books lately. Yeah. Just like reconnecting with like a childhood version of yourself? Yeah, actually, yeah, exactly. Like a childlike faith even that comes from it is just um, being young. Like I said, I don't feel like I got to be young. I feel like I became a Christian. I got discipled two weeks later and I got thrusted into like the leadership team of a 600 person high school student ministry. And I became one of the key leaders like within six months. I, they thrust me into leadership so quickly, which shifted my way I viewed myself and shifted uh, how much quicker I needed to grow up in Christ and as a person. Uh -huh. um, but from six months in to now, I've always been, I feel like I've always been doing things that I'm, I'm not really that qualified to do and I need to grow up to do. And so in a way I kind of like never, I also didn't go to college that much. And so I didn't get to be a college kid or a young single. I just, I became a leader among my own generation at a very young age. Uh, so Playing volleyball, I guess reading comic books, watching legit good movies, like good stories. Yeah. Um, one thing I do, I'm a pretty hopeless romantic. Uh, there is a girl that I'm talking to, and uh, I'll say we went on a date. I got this idea from somewhere, um, but it's probably the funniest thing or fun thing I did this weekend was I took her. Again, I got this idea. It wasn't me. I'm ready. Well, we got googly eyes. Uh huh. Basically, I told her, "Hey, we're gonna go do something. We're we could get in trouble for doing this, and so." I need you to pick one of these hats. I gave her a hat to pick to wear. And I gave, I got some like really bright glasses, like red, green, orange, a whole bunch of colors. Uh -huh. They didn't, they weren't real glasses. I said, you gotta, we have to have like disguises just in case if we get caught. Right. <laughs> and so um, she picked the purple glasses. I picked the red glasses. So we have this hat. It actually makes us look weirdly suspicious, not, doesn't hide us for anything. Right, right, but right. But then she's like, okay, what the heck are we gonna go do? Um, and why do we need these dome outfits that actually don't even help? And I said, 
okay, we're going to downtown Dallas and we're going to put these googly eyes that I have here. And so I showed her and she's like, what the heck are we going to do that? I was like, we're going to go find statues of people and we're going to put these on them and replace them. And I can send you the pictures. They look ridiculous. Like uh, these different uh, statues and you just put googly eyes on them and they look freaky, but hilarious at the same time. And so uh, it was just really, really fun. And uh, to just go and say, okay, where's the next statue? Because yeah. you got to do it in a discreet way. Anyway, that was probably the most random but fun thing that I'm I did. I'm so into that. That's really brilliant. Well done. Yeah. That's really fun. That is a high level of fun for you, bud. I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sending you the pictures now. You're going to you're gonna see. Oh, good. Okay. Well, the day the podcast comes out, I'm going to remind you so you can post one so I can see them. Okay. Okay. All right, Grant. That was awesome, bud. I'm real proud of you. Thank you. I'm grateful. Thanks for being on the show. Totally. Totally. No, thank you for having me. Friends, make sure you grab a copy of The Passion Generation by Grant. I think you will really, really enjoy it. I got to read it and actually endorse it, which I have not done hardly at all this year just because of time. Um, And so I haven't got to do very many endorsements of books that I've loved when I've read them. But our friendship in this work made it um, the right decision for me to say yes to getting to endorse this book. So I think the world of it. Make sure you follow him on Instagram, Twitter. Tell him thanks tell him to have a good some good rest get some good rest especially as this book is launching and make sure you grab a copy for yourself maybe grab one for the pastor of your church or the leader of the college ministry or the student ministry even though that's getting into the next generation but i think it's an important book for leaders to be reading so if you have a leader in your life go ahead and double down for the double portion as we like to say around at cross point double down and get you a copy for yourself and one for a leader that is in your life Hey, if there's anything I can do for you, I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F. Downs everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And tomorrow, officially, November 2nd, is Remember God's one-month birthday. Happy birthday, little pal. And if you haven't gotten a chance to grab that book, maybe throw that one in your Amazon cart or at your local bookstore as well. And it's just my most recent book about what it looks like to go on a journey to figure out if God is kind or not. So... Um, lots for y'all to read. I know one of my favorite things you guys respond to me all the time. And when I see you in public places or whether it's on Instagram or Twitter, as you say, Annie, you give me too many books to read. I'm <laughs> like, I know, I'm sorry. But that's why your library is there. That's why you should share with your pals. Um, save up your money, get some credits from Amazon, whatever it takes, and make sure you're able to get these books. So I hope you'll enjoy um, Grants. And I hope you've enjoyed Remember God. I think that's about it for me today. So I hope you guys will go out and do something that sounds fun for you. And we will see you Monday with one of my other favorite authors, an amazing leader, a woman that I adore, Haley Morgan. We'll see you Monday. You guys have a great weekend.